Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. I am so very grateful to Liberty for where I am now. Now I get to walk alongside of the people who are, are making it possible for other people. And I just am very grateful. Well, if you're able, let's, uh, let's stand, and uh, I want to read the scripture that started this initiative over us. Isaiah 56, verses 6 through 8. I'm going to read from the message translation. <clears throat> for God says, And as for the outsiders who now follow me, working for me, loving my name, and wanting to be my servants, all who keep Sabbath and don't defile it, holding fast to my covenant, I'll bring them to my holy mountain, give them joy in my house of prayer. They'll be welcome to worship the same as the insiders, to bring burnt offerings and sacrifices to my altar. Oh yes, my house of worship will be known as the house of prayer for all people. The decree of the master, God himself, who gathers in the exiles of Israel, I will gather others also. Gather them in with those already gathered. Uh, You may be seated. A house of prayer for all people. All people. That sounds nice, but is it possible? Uh, When I helped plant a church in Kansas City, I believe very deeply we were planting that church believing it was for all people. And then one Sunday, while I was preaching, it became clear to me that I might not believe that. During that sermon, a man walked into the gym where we met, and because of the way the gym was set up, I was the only one who could see him as he entered the building. His shoes were falling apart. His clothes tattered and worn, his skin dark and leathered from long exposure to the sun. In the town where where our church met, it would have been strange to encounter someone like this. Uh, We were pretty far into the Kansas City suburbs, and the suburbs are very skilled at hiding 
poverty from our plain sight. A couple miles to the east of where we met, closer to where I lived, I wouldn't have been surprised to see a man like this, but why is he here? And as I'm preaching, I'm, I'm watching him, thinking all of these thoughts. And he keeps walking closer. And I'm wondering, what's going to happen? What will he do? And as I'm preaching, I'm having this inner, internal monologue. Do I believe our church is for him too? I don't know a single Christian who would answer that question, no. But whether our church is actually for all people becomes a very different question when there is an actual person with actual needs, with an actual story, who can make demands of our community with those needs and with that story. Would he be welcome then? So this morning we're in the last week of our Gather initiative, and the reason we chose the word gather to orient our initiative is it's from Isaiah 56, a text that says God desires that his house would be a house of prayer for all people. And I like the message translation because it uses the word outsider. The, the Hebrew is foreigner, but outsider is a better term. That God desires to gather all people, outsiders included, into his house. And so in our last week uh, together in this initiative, or at least the sermon series attached to this initiative, I want to ask the question, how do we become a house of prayer for all people? And I have three answers uh, to that question this morning. But before I, I give the first answer to that question, I, should, I, should, I, I do want to ask, why does God ask this question or say this through the prophet Isaiah? Who is God speaking to and why does he say this to them? So let's throw up our map from last week again. Let's uh, remember last week we talked about Hezekiah, the king of Judah. Uh, that nation exists, the, the bottom far left of the green um, in there. It's actually brown um, in that map now that I'm looking closer. Um, but Hezekiah was visited by envoys of Babylon, which are on the far right, the lower side of the green. And the envoys of Babylon uh, have come to see all of Hezekiah's uh, wealth and his kingdom so that they can enter into an agreement with one another. And they do. And over the next 140 years after that agreement, two things happen. One, the kings of Judah grew exceedingly less interested in God. They stopped trusting in God. And the people of Judah grew further and further away from their God. And secondly, that the Babylonians became more ruthless, more oppressive in their dominance over Judah. They extracted more and more taxes, more demands. And so Judah finally rebels, trying to break free from the yoke of Babylon. But because the kings of Judah have lost interest in God, they have no chance. Babylon conquers them, liquidates Jerusalem, and takes all of its wealth away. Takes many of its people away from Jerusalem into exile. People like Daniel. Uh, the Daniel from the story, Daniel in the lion's den. He was one of the people living in Jerusalem, then forcibly removed to go to Babylon to live in exile. And so Isaiah 56 is written to people like Daniel... 
living in exile, trying to understand what has happened. Has God abandoned us? Is God even real? Should I just give in and worship the Babylonian gods since they appear to be more powerful? And Isaiah gives an answer to that future generation in exile, to the Daniels of his day. And he says, no. God says, I will gather you back to myself. And that makes Isaiah 56 one of the most stunning prophecies in all of the Bible. Think of Daniel sitting in Babylon, the world powers having conquered Jerusalem, overrun Jerusalem, burned the temple to the ground. But God says through Isaiah, he has the audacity to say through Isaiah, I am going to rebuild my house. Then I'm going to gather you back out of Babylon to Jerusalem. And I'm going to gather even more than that. The outsiders who destroyed the temple, I'm going to gather them in as well. All types of people, outsiders included, will be gathered into my house. And it happens. Just like God said that it would. The central commitment of God throughout the scriptures is to extend his welcome to all human beings. To gather people to himself. Even though our story as human beings is one where we continually lose interest in God. And yet he keeps coming after us. Pursuing us to gather us to himself. That is the vision of God. A house of prayer for all people. All people gathered to himself. One of my favorite songs we sing in church is the song, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing Thy grace, streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Streams of mercy, never ceasing. That our God is a God who is a river of endless mercy. The author of this song, Robert Robinson, he wrote the song and then later left the faith. He wandered from the fold of God, but one day, as one now far from God, he's traveling in a stagecoach, and his only companion is a young woman he does not know. And as they are traveling, she starts humming a song. Come thou founts. And so she asked him, Do you know the hymn? What do you think of it? And after some conversation, he responded, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. Her reply to him, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. And using his words from his song, this young woman led Robert Robinson back into the faith. Robert Robertson began to believe his own words. And so how do we become a house of prayer for all people? Well, we have to believe our own words. We become a house of prayer for all people when the most important thing about us is that God has gathered us to his house. That what's the most important thing about you? The defining thing about you. When someone asks you, who are you? What is it? Your career? Your kids, the college you hope to get into, how you dress, what you look like. What's the most important thing about you? Because we know what Isaiah's is. 
But just think, why, why is Isaiah the prophet who has the vision that God wants his house of prayer to be a house of prayer for all people? Why Isaiah? Let's go back to our first week of this gather initiative. And where is Isaiah and what's happening to him? Well, he's in the temple, but he can't enter. The temple, the house of God, is not for him. And he tells us why. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, which is not encouraging. If the prophet of God is a man of unclean lips, what are we? He's flawed, he's broken, unworthy of the house of God. He can't get in, which is terrible news for us. Because if the prophet can't get in, you and I can't get in. So what does God do? He takes a coal from the altar and heals him. Communicating to Isaiah, this house is for you. Streams of mercy, never ceasing. What is the most important thing about you? It's not your career. It's not how good or bad of a parent you think you are. It's not what the grades on your report might say. The most important thing about you is not your greatest accomplishment, nor is it your greatest failure. The most important thing about you, if you're someone in the way of Jesus, is that the Father, the God of the universe, wants to gather you at his table. And that is the most important thing about this community, is that we are a people who don't deserve to be here. Yet here we are. So we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I still have two more answers to the question, how do we become a house of prayer for all people? But I'm just going to give it away. They're going to cost you something. So before we, we ask the cost of anything of you, um, I want us to experience being gathered to the table of the Father. Before God ever asks anything of us, He, he first gathers us to His table. And so we're going to gather at the table of God right now. Rather than me continue to tell you about it, we're going to experience it. We're going to, we're going to take communion in the middle of the sermon. Because communion is a moment where we gather as believers in Jesus at his table. It's our Isaiah 6 moment every Sunday. We aren't worthy, but there's his body broken for us. We don't have clean lips, but there's his blood shed for us. And so in a moment, uh, we're going to invite you to come. If your faith is in Jesus, come in groups of five to seven. Take the bread, dip it into the juice, eat it together at the instruction of those who are serving you. If you're not yet a Christian, this moment is still for you because we believe God wants you at his table. That's what the whole Gather Initiative is about. We believe he wants every person at his table. So we invite you in this space to ask God to show himself to you. So I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and then as you're ready, we're going to take communion in the sermon. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, these are your words. Your house is to be a house of prayer for all people. And that starts with me. This house and this table is for me. And so now, would you gather us at your table to fellowship with Jesus as people who, who know the streams of mercy that never cease. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now that we have been gathered to our Father at His table, ready for the next two answers I have to that question. How do we become a house of prayer for all people? Uh, And our next answer comes from Jesus, who quotes this passage, Isaiah 56. And he quotes this passage in the angriest moments of his life. Matthew 21, verses 12 through 13. Here's what happens. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of robbers. Why is Jesus so angry in this passage? Uh, The popular answer has been because money is exchanging hands in the temple, and that should never happen. Uh, So I know some Christians who have refused to pay someone back even $10 for pizza in the church. That has to happen in the parking lot because no money should exchange hands in the church. Sometimes I think it's just people don't want to pay back for pizza. But, but I, I think it's pretty clear that's not what Jesus is saying. He explains why he's angry by quoting two Old Testament passages. Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7. Let's look at Jeremiah 7 first. The phrase den of robbers comes from Jeremiah 7. What is a den of robbers? Well, a den of robbers is a cave where robbers go to hide after they have robbed people. It's a hideout. A place where you consider yourself safe from your wickedness. Jeremiah used that phrase of a corrupt religious leadership who lived however they wanted And then went to the temple, offered their sacrifice, and assumed God was okay that their life outside the temple had nothing to do with how God wanted them to live. So when Jesus uses the phrase den of robbers, that's what he means. He's saying to the religious establishment of his day, you think you can live however you want. Do whatever you want. And then you can run to the temple like it's your hideout. Because God will forgive you. You can harm and abuse others and then come to the temple and hide out from your sin with God. So how are they using the temple as a hideout from God? Well, Isaiah 56 answers that question. Where the money changing was happening was in the court of the Gentiles. The only place in the temple where Gentiles, non-Jewish people, the outsiders were allowed to be. Their only place they could pray and worship in the temple. That was their place of prayer, worship, connection to the Father. But instead, what do we find in their place of worship and prayer? We find a marketplace with animals, loud noises, the last place where you could go and pray and worship. It was a way of communicating, this is not a house of prayer for you. This is for insiders only. Stay out. The people of God had completely lost the vision of all people. 
And they had filled the temple with what served them, was convenient to them, matched their preferences, and they conducted themselves in the temple in a way that completely shut out the outsiders from the house of God. And Jesus gets the angriest he will ever get in his entire life over this. Most theologians will say this is the moment that sealed Jesus' death. This act of anger in the temple against the religious establishment was too much. Jesus had crossed the line and he was going to die for it. And what's he angry about? What made him so angry that he did something that would cost him his life? It was not over sexual sin. It was not over secular, unjust, and corrupt political leaders. It was not angry angry at people that didn't believe the whole Bible. He was most angry at religious people who shut others out from access to God because they had lost the vision of the Father and built the temple on what served them and their preferences and the outsiders were excluded. So how do we become a house of prayer for all people? When our burden is not our preferences, but extending the welcome of God. Over my years of, of pastoral ministry, which is, has been about, uh, about 20, I've had so many Christians give me reasons for why they were leaving a church. Too little Bible preaching. Too much Bible in the preaching. The music is too loud. The music is too quiet. The lights are too bright. The lights are too dark. The sermon is too long. The sermon isn't long enough. I've actually never heard that one. I just wanted to throw that out. <laughs> at times I've, I've wondered to myself, am I at church or a Goldilocks convention? When we build churches on those preferences, we shut out the outsider. Because I can promise you this, people who are not yet Christians do not care about any of those things. And I want you to know that your preferences, the type of music we do, how bright this room is, they, they matter to me because you matter to me. And I want you to experience the hospitality, the welcome of God. So we will always work to love you when we have strong opinions about what ministry should look like. But I also need to say, I don't believe Jesus is in heaven spending much time thinking about these preferences that we cause so much time and division over. I believe his burden is for you to experience his welcome and for all the people this morning who are not gathered at his table in a church somewhere, how desperately he wants them to experience his welcome and his table. Are you burdened by that? Do you want every person in Chesterton, Valpo, beyond to experience what you just experienced at the communion table now? Because the reason Jesus is so angry in that temple was the answer to, uh, to in that question was, was the religious establishment didn't care about who wasn't at the table. They completely lost the vision of Isaiah 56. And the heart of, of our gather initiative is that, that we are burdened by all the people not here yet. Those not yet gathered. Because the statistics in our modern day are alarming. 
The Barna Group recently did a study that found that, that practicing Christians, so that, that would be people who would say their faith is very important to them, they identify as a Christian, have attended a church at least once in the last month, so not a very high bar. That number of Americans in 2000 was 45% of the American population. 20 years later, it's now 25% of the American population. That's 65 million people in just 20 years becoming disinterested in the table of God. And even more shocking is a lot of that happened during a pandemic. We just lived through the only pandemic in history where people did not respond to a pandemic by returning to faith, but by abandoning it. And my fear is we've lost the vision of God in Isaiah 56, like the temple leaders of Jesus' day did. And so how do we get back our burden for gathering those not yet gathered? Well, if you spend time, uh, much time with me, you will learn very quickly that I believe the best location in the universe is Wrigley Field at 1.20 p.m. on a Friday afternoon in June. You do not have to agree with me, but if you cannot tolerate that opinion, you are not going to be able to tolerate me. Because if you cannot tolerate that opinion, at some point you might find yourself kidnapped and taken to Wrigley Field at 1.20 p.m. on a Friday afternoon in June. What does that have to do with being a house of prayer for all people? Uh, well, how do you cultivate a burden to extend the welcome of God? It's prayer. Spend any time with God, and here's what he cares about. Extending his welcome to all people. You cannot have a robust life of prayer and not desire for your neighbors, your classmates, your family members to experience the welcome of God. And so in the next couple of years, we're going to deepen our commitment to prayer. It's where it all starts with this initiative to gather ourselves before God in prayer, to receive his welcome, to experience his heart for us. And then when we have experienced his presence, his welcome, our burden for others will grow. Uh, because I believe when, when we pray, uh, something else will happen. It's my last answer to the question, how do we become a house of prayer for all people? Uh, and that is when our lives extend the generosity God has given to us, to all people. How generous are you in extending the welcome of God with your hearts, with your money, with your time? Uh, as we conclude this gather initiative, I'm going to ask you to consider your generosity to those not yet gathered in two categories, your hearts and your treasure, your hearts and your treasure. First, generosity of, of heart. When I was in high school, God placed the burden on me to make sure that every high school student who visited our church felt welcome, wouldn't feel alone. And God tested that with me because uh, a high schooler named Matt, who was nonverbal autistic, started coming to our church. His mom and him would sit in the back row together alone. And I knew Matt. Matt, uh, his mom and my mom were good friends. And so I made the determination that if Matt was in church, I would sit next to him and his mom. 
I didn't know what I was doing, and most weeks I felt like I, w- I was not helping. I was making things worse. It was incredibly uncomfortable. But I had made the commitment to embrace, uh, embrace the awkward and, and sit down. And so um, as I was leaving high school, graduating, Matt's sister, Katie, told me that that act of just sitting down next to Matt and uh, his mom, Nancy, every Sunday in church was profoundly significant for her, Matt's, and their family. She told me that I had done incredible things for her faith, for Matt's faith, for their life. I don't share any of that to boast on myself, because to this day, I don't feel like I did enough. And God was the one who put that burden on me. That was him and not me. I didn't do anything but be an awkward teenager trying to help. But that simple act of just sitting down next to someone tapped into the power of the welcome of God. So this is your church home. Who is your mat? Who are you going to extend the welcome of God to? We have people who walk in here every Sunday. It's their first time in church in a long time. Will you find them? Extend the welcome of God to them the way Jesus has extended the welcome of God to you. Or will people find our church We're satisfied in what we have, and so we've forgotten about the outsider. But I want to be clear, it's not just about our hearts. It's about our treasure. After all, Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And so as we seek to gather those not yet gathered, we're calling all of us to a season of generosity to make that happen in our church, to fund changes to our building that will make this a more welcoming environment than it currently is to deepen our commitment to special needs ministries, to create more room in our Laporte campus, to make our Valpo campus accessible, to launch a residency for the next generation. And my guess is you know people in all of those categories of your life. Who are the special needs families or friends that you know? I don't know if you know this, in the last just couple months, we've had two new families start attending because they heard about our vision for special needs family, special needs ministry, and felt they could find a home here. Like, we haven't even started the, the generosity, and people are already showing up. People we didn't know a couple of months ago as we were praying through this vision. They've already come. Who else do you know? What are their names? And are you ready to extend your generosity of treasure to make room for them? Who among the, the next generation, children, students, maybe it's a baby, that you feel burdened for? What are their names? Who among the next generation do you want to make sure retains faith long into adulthood? Are you ready to extend your generosity of treasure to make room for them? And who among those not yet gathered, those who do not yet know Christ, do you feel the burden to reach? I mean, I have people in my life, not yet Christians. That's why I'm giving towards the Gather initiative. My barber in Laporte who trims my beard. Some of you might wish I would see him more often. Maybe I will. I want him to end up at our Laporte campus. So I'm giving generously to create more room. Who in your life do you know is not yet gathered? Are you ready to extend your generosity of treasure to make room for them? That our primary goal throughout this initiative is 100% engagement among our church family. That everyone would take a step of generosity towards the future. 
And maybe that feels like a big step for you or a difficult one, and we understand. But we hope you're ready to take that step that you've prayed through what a two-year financial commitment might look like to make the Gather initiative happen. And so here's what we're going to do for the rest of our time together this morning. I'm going to pray in a moment, and when I do, uh, after I'm finished, I want you to take a couple of minutes and pray through the names of the people you want to see this initiative reach. Special needs friends and family. The next generation, those not yet gathered to the Father. Pray over those names. And then we have uh, boards throughout the room. Two up uh, in the balcony. Uh, two here. We'll have a third one right here when I'm, I'm finished praying. And we want you to pray over those names and then go write those names on the boards. Or write an initial on the board if you want to be sensitive to who that is. And then, because uh, this initiative is for, th- for those people, after you write those names, if you're ready to make a financial commitment to our Gather initiative, bring your commitment card and drop it into one of the baskets we have throughout the room as a sign of saying, I'm committing my treasure to these names because I believe God can reach them. I want to be clear, the, the point of all that is not the number you're writing down on the card. That's going straight to Renee. I have no interest in what the number on the card is. What I am interested in is, is sacrificial generosity that says we will clear out the space so that when the outsider rolls in, they know this church wants me here. And as we do this, or as we do this, I, I want us to remember first how generous God has been towards us. That may we remember Jesus making room in the temple for the outsiders. After all, I doubt many of us here are Jewish by blood. Which means when Jesus cleared out the temple, when he put his life on the line, when he reminded God's people that this house was to be a house of prayer for all people, he was saying, this house is for you. And was putting his life on the line so one day you could find your way into a place in Chesterton, Indiana, thousands of miles from where the temple originally existed. And you now know and believe this house is a house of prayer for you. Jesus gave his life for you. And so as we give, uh, we don't give trying to convince God to reach the people's names that we will write down. We don't need to convince him of anything. Listen again to what God announces through the prophet of Isaiah 56. And as for the outsiders, God says, I'll bring them to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. God already knows every name that we will write down. And he wants to bring them to the joy of his table. Can he entrust them to us? Do we have lives of faith, generosity, and expectancy to say, send them our way, God. We are are ready. We have made room. Here we are. That's why I filled out my card, to extend the generosity God has given to me, to those not yet gathered. So, as you're ready, come, let me pray, and then you spend a couple moments praying through those names on your heart. Father, this house is a house of prayer for us. Because Jesus' body was given, his blood was shed. So we, we have a place at your table, and now we, uh, we call to mind the many people uh, who have not yet found their place at, at your table. And our generosity uh, is, is directed towards them as we first are reminded of the generosity you've shown towards us. So now, God, I just pray for your spirit to move among us, bring those names to light, and God, whether it's here at Liberty or another church, we pray the names 
that we will write down in, in the next few minutes, God, they will all find their place at your table. Please, Lord Jesus, do that, we ask. Bring them to your holy mountain, to your house of prayer, I pray. All this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.